If you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 6. John is the fourth book of the New Testament, so it's easy to to find. Um, And uh, we're we're looking in, uh, we're continuing a series, I guess we should say. Um, I I said last week, just as a reminder of of this, is that we began the year just saying, hey, let's look at the book of John, because John is a guy who saw Jesus face to face. This is really helpful because everyone in this room, uh, you live in a world that everybody you know, including yourself, has an opinion about Jesus. Jesus. And those opinions are, you know, they're not all in agreement, as tends to be the case about opinions. Uh, Opinions, everyone has one, and so they're not always in agreement. And so if we're going to uh, say, like, as followers of Jesus, we follow that Jesus, we want a good look at who he is. And so we're using the Gospel of John to do just that. And so we've spent the year uh, off and on taking different seasons, different bites out of John, uh, trying to figure out who this Jesus is, and does he know us? Does he accept us? And what we started last week is, If Jesus is as good as he says that he is, as good as the world says that he is, with the promises that Jesus claimed to make, those are really good news, but does he have the authority to come through on it? Now, this is, this is where we really need to be careful because it's not one of those really like fun things to think about. Like, yes, the authority of Jesus. I've been wanting to ponder that for a while. But you, you, we need to get this straight because if you're a follower of Jesus and you want his promises to come true in your life, for example, the we just saying a peace that surpasses all understanding, that's great. But if he makes the promise and doesn't have the authority to come through on it, that's a problem. And so we want to look at this idea. Does Jesus have the authority uh, to follow through with it? And I'll just spoiler alert, um, according to John, he does. Okay, And according to so many people in here who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that he has come through on those promises, and that does lend credit to his authority. But I want to teach this, and I want to look at John as if you're skeptics, as if you're just sort of on the fence about this Jesus, and what can we know about him? And so we're going to look a little bit more at his authority in John chapter 6. I have a uh, confession. Uh, one of the shows that I like, I don't know what the ratings are, so this may be a really terrible show, uh, but it's just, it, I enjoy it. I enjoy Undercover Boss. Anybody ever watch Undercover Boss? Isn't that great? Undercover Boss is uh, like the CEO of Subway puts on a fake beard or whatever, uh, and he shows up, and it's always, to me, and maybe it's because I know it's a fake person or with a mask or disguise, it always looks really, really bad. Like It looks like nobody would fall for this in Yet everybody's like, I don't know why those cameras following Bob around, but uh, it's his first day on the job, and so we're gonna we're gonna let Bob be filmed on his first day of the job. And so, undercover boss, he he's the CEO of whatever company it is, and he goes into multiple uh, branches of his company, and he sees how things really are, like feet on the ground. It, anybody in here have a job where like the boss's boss's boss has no idea what you do? They have no idea what kind of pressures you're under. They they say like lofty things, like they know what you're going through, but wouldn't it be nice if they just kind of stepped down from the from the high place of uh, authority and just kind of stepped into your job and saw what it was like to make the sandwich or to, you know, I don't know, drive the cars or whatever, whatever the jobs are. That's what undercover boss is. And my favorite parts of the show aren't when everything's going right, as, you know, because... <laughs> I'm an American, and we like to see train wrecks from time to time. It's when the undercover boss goes into a branch, and nothing is like it's supposed to be. The rules are A, B, and C, and they're doing like one, two, three, and a picture of a giraffe. It's completely different than what it should be. And you just see the undercover boss, like he's fuming at points. He's just like, oh, this isn't what it's supposed to be. And then my favorite thing is when the undercover boss is like, ha-ha, and he rips his mustache off or whatever. And he's like, do you know who I am? You're fired. And we're bringing 
bringing this person in. We're like when they get so fed up with how things are, they can't help but kind of flex that authority a little bit. Not in a not in a power grab move, but in a sense of like I have the power to do something about this. I'm going to do something about it. Uh, the, the gospel is a very you know, good parallel to that undercover boss. It, it, if, if Jesus is who John says that Jesus is, he is the creator of the universe who's chosen to put on flesh, to become human like you and I, to live in this world that is broken and not as it should be, and then just say, I am you know, the CEO. I am this person. I have this authority. I'm going to make this right. Um, we, uh, as I, th- I think just as humans, maybe, uh, if, if, you know, maybe it's an American thing, maybe it's just all of humanity, we celebrate when people use their authority well. We like it. This is why we call the police when we need help. This is why we, you know, call the fire department when they need help. There was a, a wreck uh, I was a witness of probably two weeks ago. Everybody was fine, but it looked kind of scary. Someone turned into a, a, a non unprotected turn lane and got T-boned and spun around. The, the doors were jammed up, and it was a mom and a daughter couldn't get themselves out. And so me and two, three other guys roll up on this. On the, we were there. We saw the whole thing. We, we run up on the car, and she's like, I can't get out. She wants out. It's hot. This is one of those we were in triple digits at the time. Um, and it is clear to me that the only way we're getting this door open is we're breaking this window. But do I have the authority to break the window? Also, I didn't have anything to break. I had my walking boot on at the time. I thought about taking that thing off and just beating a window, which isn't good if your pastor's on the news hitting cars with his, with his broken ankle boot. Um, the other guy that was with us, he goes and rips the, uh, the, the, the trailer hitch off of his truck, and he's, he's about to bash the window when the police walk up, and we say, you know, they're stuck. They need out. We need someone to break the glass. Do you have a glass breaker? And two or three police officers go and find out this one young, female police officer, she comes up, she grabs a pocket knife and didn't ask a question. She just starts smashing windows, breaking it open, got the kids out. And this is what I loved about it is because she was an officer who understood not only did she have the authority to do something in that moment, but she had the responsibility to do something. And we, on the other hand, were just like, oh, I think, I think it's time to do we have the time? We celebrate appropriate uses of authority, but we are also incredibly skeptical of authority. We, um, we look at institutions, and this is more of a modern age thing. I think our parents and maybe the generation before that were very trustworthy of all the institutions, but who here says, I 100% trust the government? Anybody? <laughs> who here loves politicians and thinks they have every best interest of you in mind? Who here wonders sometimes if that institution or this other institution is acting appropriately? We, we've become, we, we love uh, appropriate uses of authority, but we become skeptical of authority. And at the same time, we as a culture are on a quest for who has the right authority in this moment. We are looking for someone to step in and say, I have the authority. And so, we're holding out Jesus, just as a church. We're holding out Jesus as not only the one who has claimed to have that authority, but through his actions, through his behaviors, and consequently through what we've all tasted and seen as followers of Jesus, we're holding him out as the one who is wielding authority appropriately and actually has the authority. And so if, you, uh, if you're interested, <laughs> uh, let's look at John chapter 6. We're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, there's 5,000 people that need to be fed. Does Jesus get them fed? 
Yes, okay, and so if you've been around church for any period of time, if this is your first time opening the Bible, maybe you don't know the feeding of the 5,000 story, but for most people, they've heard the story, and so in our head, we, we do what we tend to do. We fast forward to the punchline, right? And it's like, oh, this is, this is Noah and the ark, so the, yeah, he's going to survive the, the flood. We fast forward to the end. Uh, I'm telling you on the beginning, we're going to read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Does he get the job done? Yeah, but don't fall asleep because there's a lot happening in this passage that we want to unpack. At the end of it, it becomes not a question of does Jesus have the, the magic powers to feed 5,000 people. It is does he have the authority to follow through with what he says. Let's, let's read it. Let's see how far we get. Chapter 6, verse 1. What we just finished, what we would have just finished reading uh, last week is this whole moment where Jesus gives this speech explaining to them what his authority is, that his authority is as the son is delegated from the father. So like a king sending a dignitary ahead of him, Jesus has been sent into this world and he wields the, the, the authority, the power of Yahweh according to his words at the end of chapter five. And so verse six begins with after this, after this speech. Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Um, the Sea of Galilee has another name, and it's funny to me, like some people, they're real skeptical that the Bible is historically accurate. Um, you need to do, if, if you are of that breed, you're like, hey, I, I don't know if I trust the history of the Bible before we talk about the facts. Um, I just want to highlight, when it calls Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias, that just started happening in the lifetime of Jesus. Before Jesus' generation, they didn't, just didn't call it Tiberias. It changed names in that moment. John is like highlighting that. He, he, he seems to know. And so Jesus leaves Jerusalem, and he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, uh, like you, when I read this the first time, I was like, oh, okay, well, we're, we're just changing scenes. We went from the temple in Jerusalem to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, it never occurred to me how far that is. Like, what, what kind of distance did Jesus travel from that speech that he gave in the temple? He, he heals a man on the Sabbath. He gives a speech about it when they question his authority. And then scripture says, and then he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, you know, on foot because he doesn't have a Ferrari. Um, how long does it take to get that far? Well, I looked at it. It depends on which side of the Sea of Galilee that he got, but let's, let's estimate it. It's about a hundred mile journey. A hundred miles Jesus travels in just that one sentence. Uh, it would take about uh, 20 miles a day. So you're looking at about five days of travel that John just sums up in this phrase. And then he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus just has this mic drop moment in the, in the temple, uh, just the chapter before. Everybody's jaw is dropped. It doesn't it doesn't resolve it in any way. And then there's this five days where, did the disciples ask any questions along the way? Did they, did they wonder, like, hey, Jesus, uh, is this the time where we don't say stuff? Like, they just quietly walk for five days? I don't know. But it's important for what we're about to read that they, it's been a minute uh, of this happening. Verse 2, it says, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. John, uh, if you remember from the last time we opened this book, uh, John does not like to use the word miracles. In fact, I, I didn't check it before I walked up here. I'm pretty sure the word miracle is nowhere in the Gospel of John. He prefers to call them signs because it's not so much about how powerful Jesus is. It's about what they point to. If you were here last week, you'll remember that Jesus told them, he said, hey, I'm going to do greater things than what you've even seen so far so that you may marvel. 
He, he, he seems to think, Jesus seems to think that what he's going to do is going to cause people to marvel, to look on with amazement. And as we said last week, that Greek word has the added meaning of to begin to speculate about what these things mean. John wants you to begin thinking right now, does Jesus have the authority? And so he's going to begin doing signs to point towards that. And so this, he has this large crowd following him because he was healing the sick. If, if you know of a guy who can heal cancer, you might want to keep him around, right? You might, you might, you might hang out with him a little bit just in case you get a phone call from your doctor. You got, you got the guy who can heal you nearby. So, hey, that guy healed some people. Let's, let's follow him around. So this is verse three. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. And so the picture we're supposed to get is Jesus does the mic drop thing in Jerusalem. He walks five days. He gets to where he's going, and just crowds of people are following him. Uh, he gets up on this mountain, and he just sits down with his disciples. Hey, you 12 guys, sit down. Uh, we're just I'm, It's time for me to teach you. And then you have like the paparazzi crowd just kind of like breathing all the air, like looking on. There's a large group of people that are trying to get in on like, who is this Jesus? They're watching. They are doing exactly what Jesus says. They're beginning to speculate. Is he who... He claims to be. And it says that Passover was on its way. Can, I just want to make a couple of observations. I, I, everybody in here is kind of in a different place spiritually, like where they are as they're following the Lord. Some of you have, you've doubled down on it. You are all in. We're going to talk to you for sure in a moment. Some of you are, you're skeptical. You're on the fence. Maybe you're in the crowd and you're just like, I'm, I'm interested. I, I hope that Jesus is as good as they say he is because, because I really need something that good in my life. But Jesse, if I had to be honest, and this might be the way you would say it, if I had to be honest, every time someone made a promise to me that was too good to be true, it turns out it wasn't true. And you've become a little leery about this Jesus. That's the crowd that's following him right now. And they're wondering, can he come through with what he says? Now it says uh, Passover is on its way. Passover, we need, to, we need to paint this picture of what Passover is, uh, because uh, I don't know if any of you, if, if any of you are Jewish, and not many of you are, you may not know what, what Passover is. Passover is an ancient festival that the entire nation of Israel would have followed, and it's followed every year. It happens every year, and people just travel from place to place for this festival. Um, it is. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to Moses. Uh, if you you remember any of your Old Testament or if you watch the cartoons that Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. And then there's this big moment. There's, there's a lot of death. There's a lot of violence. And, and there's a Passover moment that the angel of death passes over the children of Israel and rescues them. And they leave Egypt and they, they wander out into the wilderness uh, where, where God is telling them, wander out into the wilderness towards the promised land towards the land that they're sitting in in this moment. And so when Jesus or when John says that, hey, Passover is on its way, they're, they're beginning to think of this, of this festival. Um, we, we, here, here in Texas, uh, what, what are some festivals that we have? What are some moments, holidays that we have that everyone just travels on? I, I'm thinking, thinking like Christmas. Thinking like Thanksgiving, right? Uh, raise your hand if you travel long distances for Christmas and or Thanksgiving. Many of you, some of you, just a few of you, you know, more than just raise your hands. Guys, like, it, it's okay. I can see you. Some people on stage, they're like, I don't think he can see me. Uh, I can see you. Uh, we travel. And, and you know that flights and, and airline travel, it, the price of it goes up a great deal. Um, 
in that day, Passover was a day that people would travel to their families unless they didn't have the money or they didn't have family. Um, they would, many of them would try to get to Jerusalem on this time because Jerusalem is like the Mecca. Even today, uh, if Passover is scheduled, you try to get into Jerusalem. There are no hotels available. It's, it's just always been a tourist moment. And so what John has done so far is Jesus does a mic drop moment in Jerusalem a week before Passover. And then while people are traveling for Passover towards Jerusalem, Jesus and his people are going away from Jerusalem. And he ends up in this area where a crowd has surrounded him. Who would be in that crowd? It would be people that didn't have family to go to for Passover, or people who were too poor or indigent or unwell. These are all the down and outs. These are all the people that are living in the promised land, but they're really wanting to see something good happen. Where is God right now? They would probably wonder. They're in a land celebrating a moment where they were released from bondage, but they're in bondage from Rome right now. If, if, let, me, let me just put it to, to you here in 2023. If, if you live in America with the American dream, but your money isn't quite going the way that it should, and things aren't quite the way that you wish that they were, and you're just like, when is somebody going to fix this big glaring problem? The promise isn't matching my situation and my feelings right now, when is someone going to do it? You would fit very well with that crowd that decided to join Jesus on the side of that mountain. Because they're wondering the same thing. Where's, where's the good? Maybe Jesus has it. So they're speculating. They're, they're wondering. So um, if you go to, to your Nana's house or somebody's house uh, and food is their love language, um, you show up. Even if you show up and announce, what's Nana going to try to do? She's, she's like, my Nana, she's scrambling an egg. That woman scrambled egg. I, I don't know how many dozens of eggs she would go through in a week. If you just like, hey, can I, can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, let me scramble you an egg real quick. It's just, okay. That's, that's just what you do. Because food, like, we got to get food out. Jesus looks, and it's like Passover is coming. We got to get food out. Uh, so he starts asking questions. How, how are we going to feed these people? Uh, verse, uh, verse five. Lifting up his eye. His eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6, John lets us know what's in Jesus' mind. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And you are all living in the future. You're like, yeah, we know what he's going to do too. We know what Jesus is going to do. But Jesus says this to test Philip. Uh, there's a tradition. I don't know if you've ever been to a Passover Seder. It's called a Seder. Uh, I've been to a couple. I don't know how old this tradition is, but there's a tradition uh, that may be as old as Jesus in this moment. There's a tradition that when it's time for the Passover. You're kind of going over the stories. You're talking about Moses. You're talking about what happened. But about halfway through, there's this game that they play with the kids where they hide the bread in the house. And it's like a scavenger hunt, okay? Hey, how fun would this be? They hide like a, like a loaf of bread, like under a chair or in a closet or something. And you tell all the children, like, well, you know, we can't finish Passover until somebody finds the bread. Who's going to go find the bread? And all the kids are like, it's me. And so then they go find the bread, and whichever kid turns in the bread gets the prize. And I don't know what they get. Maybe they get some dirty bread. Uh, maybe, maybe they get some money. Uh, it's pretty fun. I wonder, I've always wondered this, like, is Jesus riffing off of that? He just turns to his disciples like, hey, who's going to find the bread? How are we going to feed these people? But he said this to test him. And so Philip answers, verse 7, Philip's answer to this problem. You ever face a problem that's a little bit too big? Like, I know the problem. 
The problem is we don't have food, but the solution, how do I figure it out? Philip's answer is this, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Philip looks around, there's this big crowd, 200 denarii is about eight months worth of paychecks for one person. He's like, Jesus, even if we took eight months of all of our money and went to go buy bread, it, wouldn't, it still wouldn't be enough to feed these people. I know the problem. There's some people that need food. And all I see in front of me is the scarcity of what's to come. You know, a lot of, a lot of us, um, we're like Philip. We, we know the problem. We see the problem extremely clear. And then as soon as it's time to find the solution, whatever the problem is, my, I'm unhappy in my job. Uh, I'm unhappy in my marriage. I'm, 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 I'm feeling like I'm not enough. We point to the scarcity and we look at it. You know, even if I had eight months to work on this, I would never be able to overcome it. Even, even if I went to the counselor eight sessions, it still wouldn't fix my marriage. Man, even if I worked an extra shift for the next eight months, I still wouldn't be able to get out of this debt. We see the problem, and all we do is focus on the scarcity of our resources, the scarcity of our abilities. Okay, so Andrew, or excuse me, Philip, uh, he just sees the scarcity. So, so Jesus turns to Andrew, verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, which is Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Um, he's, he's a little bit better. He sees a little bit of a solution, but he's still like, what is five barley loaves and two fish going to do for such a great number of people? A little bit on, on the scarcity side. If, if we're Jewish and we're in this moment, um, we should be flashing back to some really big Old Testament stories. Barley loaves. Like someone came up and said, it's not just loaves of bread. It's five barley loaves, which I didn't know what was the big deal about that, except that it's like it's the poorest kind of bread you can get. So it's not just like the good bread. It's the measliest bread you could get. Five barley loaves. Um, if, if you're Jewish and you're, and you're paying attention to your Old Testament, you hear that story and you're going to flash back to Elisha. Because in, in 1 Kings, you can write this down and you look it up later. 1 Kings chapter 4, Elisha has a similar problem. He has to feed only 100 men and what do we have? We have some barley loaves. And, and the people said, it's not enough. It's not enough to feed 100 men with all these barley loaves. And he says, don't worry about it. God's going to come through with this. And it turns out, guess what? It was enough. It was enough for that moment. And so these people are probably wondering, barley loaves? Is Jesus going to do the Elisha thing? Um, in, in the Old Testament, of course, they're getting ready for Passover. In the Old Testament, there's uh, all the stories of manna. You guys know about manna, right? Um, the Israelites leave uh, Egypt. They're wandering around in the wilderness and they're hungry and they're getting hangry. And what are we going to do? And so it starts raining down bread, little, little bits of white bread. And they didn't know what to call it. So they called it manna, which is in Hebrew means, what is it? <laughs> they, they grab it and they're like, what is it? Yeah, let's call it that. Man, big old pile of what is it? Let's eat some what is it right now. So they, they eat this manna and the rules on manna are this, is that you can't provide enough food for yourself, but God is going to provide enough food. And you can eat as much as you want, as much as you want, but you can't save any for tomorrow because you have to trust that God's going to come through again tomorrow with your what is it bread out of the sky. With one exception, 
um, on, on Sabbath. God's not going to rain any bread, any what is it, from the sky. And so on Sabbath, you can grab some extra for tomorrow and make some cake or something out of it, and eat, you got something for it. But every other day of the week, you can't have any of it. If you uh, want to read something about this, go to Numbers 11, where the people start grumbling. They're like, oh, I'm so sick of all this bread. And so then there's quail everywhere, and they're, they're sick of it. Um, the people are complaining, and they say, I want some fish. That's what I want. I want fish. Remember when we ate free fish in Egypt? Why, why am I bringing that up? Because if Jesus has the authority that he says that he has, which is the authority from Yahweh, we should probably expect him to act in a way that kind of resembles the way God acted in the Old Testament. And now he's in a moment with Passover, Moses, kind of reference of Elijah, reference of manna, and all the people are watching. What are we going to do with these five breads and two loaves, uh, or so five breads and two fish? Jesus says in verse 10, have the people sit down. Just have them sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Large, larger group than Elisha had to deal with. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. He gives, he gives thanks for the measliest bread there is. He gives thanks for the scarcity that everybody else sees, like how little this is. And everybody would not be thankful. But when Jesus, because he just, he gives thanks for it. And then he distributes it to those who were seated. So uh, also the fish. He did the same thing with the fish. As much as they wanted, they ate their fill. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Just whatever's left. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And so when, when he gets to this, this space, like the, he has accomplished in the scarcity, he's brought abundance. Um, just a couple, couple of thoughts about it. One, one is, is this the way that God would act? And so, yeah, like, okay, the manna, that kind of checks out, the five barley loaves. But hey, what about, what about that whole rule? You can't, you can't save the manna for the next day. Um, that applies here. Like, would, it, is Jesus going to act in a way that's different than, than God the Father? Um, it depends on what day this is right here. It, de- it depends on which day of the week this is. And John doesn't say that it's Sabbath, but he did say that on the Sabbath he gave a speech. And then he traveled 100 miles, which would take him about five days. And so if he gave the speech and then he left the next morning and then he walks and then he gets to this point, what day is it? What day is it right now? Uh, it's Sabbath. At sundown, no more work. And Jesus is, is acting exactly like uh, we saw in, in Moses. What, what are we supposed to learn from this story? There, there are a couple of observations, I think, that are worth having. Um, I, think, I think the first is this. I think the most obvious is this. Uh, you and I live in a world where we feel like we're not enough. We act in ways that our scarcity mindset influences how we treat our spouse, influences how we work uh, our jobs, influences how we meet with our kids, influences what is stressing us out. We, we focus so much on the scarcity. And Jesus is able to take with the measliest little bit, make enough out of it. Can, can I, I just want to be transparent for a second. And I, I was really reflecting a moment ago when Jason was sharing about his week. I'm like, yeah, bro, me too. 
Like I, I feel like I don't have enough hours in the day to accomplish all the things that are on my to-do list. In fact, if you've talked to me uh, in the last two or three weeks, I've more often than not apologized to you for not responding to your text, not responding to your phone call, or forgetting that I was supposed to meet you somewhere. Because I, I just I feel like I'm stressed. I feel like that I'm not enough. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you're so focused on the scarcity like Philip, the scarcity like Andrew, like, are we going to make it? Are we going to get by? You are only asked to trust the Lord Jesus with whatever you have. You are not asked to have enough. You are asked to trust the Lord with what you have. And with just five pieces of bread and two fish, Jesus fed 5,000. What can he do with your 30 minutes of free time? What, he, what can he do with the, just that window of time that you're like, it's not enough time to spend with my kids. What, what, what can he do with that window of time if you're just like, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to be a good dad. I'm going to be a good mom in this moment. The, the point that we have to come to grips with it, is Jesus enough? Is he enough when you feel like you're not enough? Is he enough when you feel like you don't have enough? Is he enough when you feel like there's not enough to go around? Is Jesus enough? And those 5,000 people, they're, they're sitting on the side of a hill and they're thinking, that's amazing. This, this is the guy. This is the, they're, they're watching. They're, they're beginning to, to marvel. They're beginning to, with amazement, look on on what he did. But then they begin to speculate about what this means. Wait a second. He's acting like the God of the Old Testament. He's doing the things that you would expect him to do. And so they, they respond to this differently than maybe you and I would respond to something. We read this like, feeding of the 5,000, sweet. Jesus, open a food bank. We've got a job for you, okay? Nobody in this world is going to go hungry because we know that you are the magic food-making man. They, they didn't see Jesus as a solution to food. They saw him with this authority. And here's why I say that, because of the next verse, verse 14. When the people saw the sign, there's that word again, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They looked at what he did and they said, he's the one that has the authority. Let's make him king. Why, why did they think, oh, he's the prophet? Uh, is that, go back one verse to verse 14, please. When it says the prophet, yeah, see how it's capitalized right there? So in English, we're supposed to read that. It's like, it's not just a prophet. It is the prophet. Why? Because Jesus is doing and acting in so many Old Testament ways. They know their Old Testament. I want to read, uh, you don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy 18. Here's what Moses says about a prophet that's supposed to come. And when Jesus finished feeding them, they thought about Moses' words that we're about to read right here. And they, they agreed. They're like, oh, this is the guy. This is the one. This is the one we should be looking for. Here's, here's what Moses says. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire anymore lest I die. They're all scared to go see God. We need somebody to go on our behalf to God. God is too holy for us, the people said. We need someone to go. And so they sent Moses. And Moses is saying, yeah, someone else is going to come just like that. 
Verse 17, And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. The people saw what Jesus did, and then they thought about these words, and they said, This is the one that we're supposed to be following. This is the one who's speaking on behalf of God. This is the one that God warned and said that if we don't do what he says, it's going to be required of us. Listen to me real quick. If you're, if you're like trying to figure out what the big deal is about Jesus, the big deal is this, is that if we follow him, we get the life that he offers. But if we don't follow him, Jesus, or excuse me, the Lord is going to hold us accountable to our actions, to our behaviors. No, we use the word for sin, uh, of sin for that. We, we are held in account for our sin. He said at the end that whoever does not listen to Jesus or the prophet, I'm going to hold them accountable to it. Does Jesus have this authority? After the people ate, they were like, yeah, he has the authority. But then they try to make him king. They thought, the people thought, I know what someone with that authority should do. They should, he should be our king right now. He should rule over us. They got Jesus right. He is Lord. They all agreed. And then by force tried to make him king. Listen, Christian, um, it is entirely possible. In fact, even likely that you get Jesus right and then you assume what he's going to do wrongly. You assume how he's going to behave wrongly. How many times has the church tried to say, well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to vote for, and then fill in the blank with whomever that church says, there are two churches that are in disagreement on that. They got Jesus right on his authority, but then how he's going to behave and how he's going to act wrongly. I'm, I'm going to say something that may be kind of hurtful. Um, I don't mean it hurtful. I mean it to be like one of those medicinal things. It's something I've been pondering myself. It's like, do I want Jesus to be my Lord and just bless my plans? Or do I trust Jesus with my plans? What if what if Jesus being Lord of my life points my life in a direction different than I ever intended, in a direction different than I ever thought he would call me to? Let me, let me ask you this question. This will kind of be a, a meditating question of the rest of the week because we're really focusing on this Jesus being Lord. Is that If you claim Jesus as your Lord, how much of your life do you run past him on a day-to-day basis? How many times do you just assume that you know what God's going to do in this situation? Well, of course he's going to bless this conversation. Of course he's going to bless this decision because I prayed the prayers. But they thought that they were going to make him king that day. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to go by myself for a second. We'll look at what he does next week. But they were wrong. They were right about him being Lord and wrong about what he wanted to do. It's possible, Christian, that you're right about Jesus being Lord in your life and wrong about him wanting you to take that promotion wrong about you making that next step in that direction? How much of your day-to-day life, and this is on me too, how much of my day-to-day life do I just pause and just be like, Lord, you have you have governorship over what I do next. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to do what you say. What if, what if Andrew's like, hey, I've got these five breads and these two fish. Um, it's not enough. And Jesus says, well, have the people sit down. And he's like, well, no, I can't. I mean, we don't have enough, Jesus. Right, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you what to do, Andrew. Set the people down. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I can't do it because I don't have enough. Um, Jesus, Jesus has authority. And he holds out himself as the one who has the authority of God, not only to bring us life, 
but to govern our affairs. I would invite you this week to just ponder, like, and I'm talking to Christians, to just ponder, like, how much of my day-to-day life am I just trusting with him? Am I running by him um, before, I, before I just assume I know what he wants me to do? You may be surprised how many times your Lord disagrees with what you think is so obvious. And he'll let you know in those moments of quietness when you're trusting him. Um, let me pray. And we'll watch the, the cue uh, together. Lord, your, your word says um, that those who trust in your name have life. And uh, I pray, Father, that as we, as we look at the scarcity around us, as we look at all the things that don't measure up and the things about us that aren't enough, uh, that we wouldn't focus on those and that we would see instead your abundance. We would see your glory, your beauty, that if you are who you say you are, um, there is no lack of resources uh, in your name. And so I pray in the name of Jesus uh, over all the men and women in this room that follow you, that uh, they would they would submit different corners of their heart to you. They would submit different corners of their life and job and work and family to you uh, and just trust that in you is life. And those corners would have more life if they submitted to you. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are on the fence, that we would just continue to speculate and just ask the question, what does this mean? How, 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 how do we get to this conclusion uh, and that you would you would call more people to your name. We pray in the name of Jesus, blessing over our families and over our community. And I pray that we look more like him uh, as a result of our time this morning. We love you. Amen.